It's so good to be here with you. I'm going to move this real quick. There we go. It's good to be here with you. I'm usually up here uh, earlier in the service, but now I get to be here during the, the big portion of it. So this is fun. This is really cool. I always love the opportunity to come to preach. If you don't know, I'm Pastor Kramer. I'm the worship pastor here. Usually I'm up leading worship, and the team did an amazing job this morning. I just want to give them a hand. They did an amazing, amazing job. This morning, we are going to be in uh, Ephesians, or not Ephesians, sorry, that was last time I preached. This time, we're going to be in <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 13, so I'll give you a moment to uh, turn your Bibles there or turn your phones on to the Bible app. But I want to start with our memory verse for this, this series. Uh, we're memorizing John 13, 34, which is right there as you walk in to our, our lobby. It's written on the wall. It's uh, John 13, 34. So let's say this together. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. John 13, 34. Yes. That's awesome. Yes, this is something that, that we can put on our heart. We can remember it. We can recite it. We can remind ourselves of it because it's good to love each other. It's good to extend love, invite, or yeah, invite people to love, and uh, this is a good reminder for us all. So we are, like I said, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11 today. This will be our, our scripture that we're going to be kind of taking apart and learning about, and um, it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. We have two letters from Paul that we have uh, to the church in Corinth. We have First and Second Corinthians. There are a number of other letters that we believe uh, were written between like four and seven letters, but two of them still um, still survive. First, First Corinthians was a uh, a little background, uh, a response from Paul to the church in Corinth because they were rejecting him. This is a church that Paul planted, and then once he planted this church, it was good, thriving, it was healthy. He left, and he went on to plant more churches. And then when he was in Ephesus, he got word that. This church was rejecting him. And so 2 Corinthians, um, he's writing to them again to reconcile this broken relationship that, that they have. This broken relationship where they've rejected Paul. Paul also encourages them and challenges them to refocus. In chapters 8 and 9, he says that you have forgotten your generosity. How awful is that? To, to have somebody that was really close to you that says, you used to be really generous. You used to be a really good person. What happened? Right? Now, that might not go over so well. So, he references a, a painful visit that he has with them. References a painful visit in which he goes to visit and probably has really difficult conversations with this church. And he goes on to say, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, he became poor for your sake, so that through his poverty you might become rich, in reminding them that salvation is the greatest gift that we have been given. And then he goes on to remind them that they aren't to brag about themselves, about great accomplishments or anything like that, but instead they should boast in their weakness, as Paul boasts in his weakness, because Jesus came to Paul and said this, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made great and made perfect through weakness. Amen. Amen. So Paul wants the church to stop bragging about themselves, stop 
focusing on themselves, stop following what he calls these super apostles who, who lift themselves up and not so that they can go out and bless others or build the church or spread the gospel, but so they could keep it to themselves. So he says, stop focusing on them. And he wants them to refocus on the gospel. And so in closing, Paul says this, and this will be our verse that we read together and that we kind of decipher together this morning. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. I love that. The God of love and peace will be with you. That's such a beautiful reminder. It's an amazing thing. And so if I could give a title to my message this morning, it would be this. Seek restoration. Seek restoration. This is what we should be doing. We should be gathering, and whether it's in our big church setting, in our Sunday morning congregation, or in our small groups, we should be seeking restoration. In keeping with the theme of Vital Connections, I want to encourage you, church, to stay connected. There's a lot of ways to be connected. Stay connected and seek restoration. There's a lot of ways to stay connected. There's a lot of ways to seek restoration. We can start small groups up. We can join a Bible study. We can start volunteering. We can join the Christmas choir that had its first meeting today before service. But stay plugged in. Stay connected. This is essential to our life. This is our central, essential to our, our spiritual life as well as our physical life. But more than that, more than being connected, I want to encourage you to be a vessel in which other people can stay connected. Be a vessel in which other people can stay connected. When I was a teenager, I was invited to join a, a small group. I went to youth group and it was fun and chaotic, and there was a lot of people there, and it was, it was super fun. And so I thought small groups were going to be just like a, a less chaotic version of youth group, which it kind of was. But I, I, I found something in a small group that I didn't in a, a large group setting. I found community. I found deeper relationships. And this all happened because somebody invited me. It wasn't because I, I qualified for this small group. The only qualification was to be a teenager, you know? And so, so I was invited. And I could have chosen to say no. I could have chosen to, to do my own thing and, and to kind of go through the motions as I was doing when I was 16 years old. I was kind of searching around for my place in life. I was thinking, what could I do with my life? I wanted to find a place to fit in. And, and, and God provided a place for me to fit in, but I didn't see it that way at first. You see, I had come to a, a, one of many forks in the road of my life where I could have chosen to do the, th- the thing that felt natural to me, which was to stay to myself, or I could open myself up to deeper relationships and more opportunities. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've had a, a number of fork in the road moments that looking back, I know that God was there. I know that he was there urging me and, and kind of nudging me in the right direction and, and, and encouraging me, challenging me to get out of my comfort zone. Because God doesn't want us to live in our comfort zones. He wants us to get out of our comfort zones because we won't grow when we're comfortable. We get stagnant. We get complacent when we're comfortable. But God also doesn't want us to be foolish He doesn't want us to be foolish with who we hang out with or who we associate with. He wants us to be wise in our decision-making. 
which is why he tells us to seek wisdom and is why we surround ourselves with people who are wise. So my life changed because somebody invited me to become a part of a community that I wasn't a part of yet. They, they reached out. Someone else responded to the movement of the Holy Spirit in their life. And that changed my life forever. That's how communities grow. When we decide to humble ourselves, listen to where the Holy Spirit is leading, and we extend an invitation, we will see communities grow. We'll see life groups flourish, start, and thrive. So this is the big picture. When we respond to the movement of God, lives change. God can use you to answer the prayers of others. Say, God can use me. God can use you. God can use you to answer the prayers of others. I've been a part of a number of small groups in the last 10 to 15 years, and each one of them started with an invitation, started with an extended offer to, to join a community, to, to belong, not because of any qualifications again, but because they were following the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm sure many of you have similar stories, and I want to encourage you, be the one who includes others. Take that step of faith to reach out, to extend a hand. Be the person who changes the trajectory of somebody's life because you brought them close to Jesus. And they, they meet Jesus through an offer, and then they, they go and start a small group, and they, they, they find faith, and then they go and tell people about their faith, and people around them notice that there's a change, and then they want to get to know Jesus. And, and you see these communities grow because of one invitation. What an amazing thing to be able to say. So be somebody who brings joy to the lives of those around you. Paul says this. He says, rejoice. Rejoice and aim for restoration. But you have to remember, Paul is writing to a church of, of people who, who really don't agree with him at this point. There's a lot of tension. There's a lot of conflict. And still, he chooses to end this letter by saying rejoice. Don't, don't focus on the, the things that divide us, but, but focus on the things that unite us. Remember the things that unite us. And this is what rejoice means. It doesn't mean simply to give thanks to God, although it includes that. It doesn't mean just to feel good and to, to offer worship to God, but it does include that. But it, it involves this idea of recalling to memory the things that God has done among you. It, it, it means to remind yourself and to remember what God has accomplished. And so he's saying, finally, brothers and sisters, remember what the Lord has accomplished among you because there are great things that God has done. There are things that have, have torn us apart and have tried to break our relationship, but those things don't matter because God is still here. God is still in the midst of us. And so as I was writing this this week, and I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable and honest I was, I was writing this message this week, last week, and, and on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, I have my boys here. The, my boys, Dax and Roman, they're two years old and, and seven months old, and, and they're loud a little, a lot, all the time, <laughs> and they always want attention, and when I bring them to work, and I'm trying to work, and they want my attention, and I, I get in this mindset where I'm like, our kids, I'm trying to work, and so I'm typing away, and I'm like, I get you taken care of, but I want, I want to work, 
And so I, I find myself this week, as I'm writing and preparing the message, I'm reading, I'm writing, and I'm just kind of complaining to myself in my head. I'm just like, gosh, these kids are so loud. I can't get any work done. When, when am I going to get any work done? So I'm complaining, you know, like you do. And, and then we go home. I get them lunch. I get them put down for a nap. And and I start working again. And then something in the house makes a noise, and then and, and I start complaining about that. And I'm complaining in my head about the noise, and I'm complaining about the things that I have to do around the house. And, and I, I keep complaining. And then, and then they wake up, and my wife comes home, and, and I tell Lindy all about our day and how they, the boys were okay, but they were a lot, and they were loud. And, and then something happened at the house, and then we fixed it. But it was still, I didn't get as much work done as I needed to. And so, so I air my grievances with her and she she accepts them and and talks me off the ledge and 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 then we get everybody to bed and I start working again and I'm writing and and I come to this part where I'm I'm trying to verbalize and and communicate how easy it is to move on from the blessings of God in our lives and how often we forget and why so often in the Bible the Bible tells us to remember the great things that the Lord has done in our lives and I felt God say, the things that you complained about today are the things that you prayed for two years ago. <laughs> and I'm like, well, okay. So, so, the things that we're complaining about right now are the things that we've prayed for. Our house, our family, our job our cars, we do have or don't have, the relationships that we have or don't have, these are things that we've prayed for. But we move on so quickly. It's easy to move on because in our lives, we're so fast-paced. We, we move on from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. It's like a never-ending race. And we never stop to appreciate what God has done in our lives. We might say, thank you, God. Like, we might spend a whole, like, day just praising God for the good things that he's done. And then it's like the next day comes, the sun comes up, and you're like, there's more challenges, and now we have to beat them. And you forget all about the great things that you've prayed for and the ways that God has moved to get you to where you are, and now you just have more challenges, and you forget what God has done. But this is what Paul is saying. Rejoice. Remember. Recall to memory the things, the great things that the Lord has accomplished among you. Our church's life verse is Psalm 78.4. It says, I will tell the great and wonderful things that the Lord has accomplished among us. So we will not only remember it ourselves, but we will articulate it. We will write it down. We will tell it to the next generation. We'll tell it to people around us. We will offer our praise to God. So remember, church, what the Lord has accomplished among you. And we can take what Paul is saying here, the, the, the word rejoice, we can take it and even though it wasn't written directly to Generations Community Church in Marysville, Washington on 64th Street, we can take this theme and this idea and remember that it's good to rejoice. It's good to remember what the Lord has accomplished. Remember what God has accomplished among you. He's brought you from the dark places. He's healed you. He's redeemed you. He has saved you. Remember that. Remember what he's brought you from. Psalm 52, 9 says, I will thank you, Lord, forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good, in the presence of the godly. So church, place it on your heart this morning to rejoice in the Lord. 
Share with somebody what God has done. Share with anybody. It can be your neighbor. It can be right after service. We can and talk for hours, and we can just share the good things that God has accomplished among us. Recall memories of like years ago about what God has done among you. Healing, how he's answered prayers. Praise to God. Voice. I get pretty excited about these things because as a worship pastor, when we, when we remember what God has done, it, it spurs on our worship. We sing louder. We, we live better. We, we want to glorify God. It's a response that we give to God our worship. It's a response to what he's done in us. So if I can encourage you, encourage others. Give them an uplifting word. Give them a reason to rejoice. Give them a reason to recall the good things that God has done in your life. Give them that gift. Give them that gift. My wife is a great gift giver. She is one of the best at giving gifts. And what makes her one of the best at giving gifts is that she gives practical gifts. She calls these practical gifts. And a practical gift is something, I asked her about this and I wrote it down. It says, Lindy said, a practical gift is something that will be used often and enjoyed often. It's, a, it's a, an intentional gift that wouldn't just get stuffed in a closet. So if you ever get a gift from her, know that it's intentional. Don't put it in the closet. But it has purpose. It has something. It has, it, it has meaning. There's a lot of thought that gets put into each and every one of these gifts. But more than this, more than just a practical gift, she goes above and beyond, and she goes and makes this practical gift look, look really good. It looks really good. So w- part of her process, she'll go to Target. We'll go to Target, and, and she'll walk in, and, and we'll get the biggest basket. She'll get the biggest find. And, but it can't just be a big basket. It has to be a big basket that looks good. So remember, a practical gift. You're giving a basket, it's got to be practical. So you got to fit blankets and stuff in it. So she has this big basket, right? And then she's got to fill it because it's an empty basket. Now she goes around the, the target and, and up and down the aisles and fills it just with stuff. It's with things that you'll actually use. And she puts all this time and effort, and she see, I see the joy that it brings her. And it brings my joy level up a little bit. Being in Target, my joy level's like as low as it gets. <laughs> but I see the joy that it, it brings her to, to prepare this gift. And so many things come to mind. The gift that, that God gives us each and every time. He prepares gifts. He is so, so happy to give us gifts. But it reminds me of something. When we encourage others, we give gifts to others, it not only makes their day better, but it, it makes our day better too. Because it's, it's just as good, if not better, to give a gift than to receive one. It's nice to receive a gift. It's nice to be thought of. But to put that intentional effort and that thought into a practical gift to give to somebody so that you can make their day better. What a gift. What an amazing thing. It makes their day better. It makes yours better too. Paul continues and says this. He says, aim for restoration. Aim for restoration. This isn't just to to make it nice and shiny. This is to fix it completely. Remember, Paul is writing to a church that is broken. They're, they're, They're literally being torn apart. If you're a woodworker, imagine 
this, this word for restoration means to, to be perfectly fit together. This community is perfectly fit together. And so I'm not a woodworker at all. I, I like to watch woodworking videos on YouTube. And so I watch as they make these dovetail joints. And they're so cool because you can fit different colored woods in there and they just fit together perfectly. And this is what I picture when Paul's writing, aim for restoration, to, to fit perfectly together. But, but in the Greek, it goes even further. It says to restore what is broken. Restore what is broken among you. And so he's telling the church to remember what God has done in your life. Repair the things that are broken. Repair the relationships that are broken among you, a.k.a. the relationship between the church and Paul. Restore that. Aim for restoration. The church had been through a lot, and it was time to mend what's broken. But in order to do that, they had to first assume a posture of humility. They had to admit that at least there was some brokenness within them. They didn't have to necessarily admit they're wrong. It's not about who's wrong or right. It's about fixing the relationship. It shouldn't ever be about who's wrong or right. It should always be about mending the relationship. When I was in college, I was a part of a group of guys. We all lived on the same wing. And we would often meet on Monday nights at 7 p.m., we would meet together, 15 of us, in one room, and we would share what was going on in our lives. We would share the, the struggles, the successes, our stresses. We'd share how school was going, share how relationships were going. And we did this every single week. We created a community of people who lived together and did life together, shared together. We were just a community. And I remember one night in particular, one of the guys spoke up and said that he was deeply hurt specifically by one other individual in our group. And instead of assuming a posture of defensiveness and trying to talk his way out of it, the group as a whole, just humility overcame us. There was, there was a brokenness in the relationship. Even though it was just between two people, they were a part of a bigger group. They were a part of a greater family. And so we prayed together and we repented together and we we prayed more, and then we offered forgiveness, and, and we fixed that relationship. We reconciled that relationship right then and there. We didn't leave. Nobody left. Nobody tried to talk their way out of it. Nobody tried to give excuses. But as Paul's saying here, we need to aim for restoration. This is a community that, that can't survive when we're broken. And we saw that we had experienced a break and it needed to be fixed. But again, it couldn't have been restored if a posture of humility was not welcome. So I want to ask you, church, what are some areas in your life that need restoration? What are some areas in your life that need restoration? Is there a relationship that comes to mind or a situation that was handled poorly that you need to readdress? Does a name come to mind? Is, is God placing somebody on your heart? And if, if there is, if something's coming to mind right now, I encourage you, pay attention to it. Because if it's coming to mind, it's important. If it needs restoration, it needs restoration. It needs to be fixed. God's speaking, so we should pay attention. In order to be a community united, we must restore what has been broken. And we don't need to go into detail about what happened over the last couple of years. We've all been through it. But we've seen small groups disband and not meet. They've been broken. 
We've seen countries at war with each other because of differences of opinions, and we've let minor things become major things. We've let our opinions become our God. Instead of coming together to unite under one banner, under Jesus, we have let our opinions take away our relationships. But we've been through it, and it's time to restore what's broken. So if you've been a part of a youth group, or not a youth group, if you've been a part of a small group before that no longer meets, I encourage you to start it up again. It's time to start it up again. It starts with an invitation. It starts with extending an offer, an offer and an invitation to belong. Because from Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, and sending the Holy Spirit, God has been active in his pursuit to restore creation, to restore us to a right relationship with him. He wants us to be in a right relationship with him. He wants us to restore what's broken, to be restored. Unity with God and unity with each other. That's our aim. It's not anything else. It's not our opinions. We can have different opinions. We can still love each other. That's what families do. We can talk about things. We still love each other. We can still meet together because we know that Jesus is the one that we meet for. We want to grow into people like Jesus. And so moving on, Paul says this. Paul says, comfort one another. Comfort one another. Comfort here means to, to be somebody that is gentle. You can console people. You can encourage and strengthen each other. You instruct and teach each other. Somebody that comes to mind is a mentor. This is kind of somebody that would be a mentor, somebody who can instruct and teach, somebody that you trust, somebody that can give good counsel, wise advice. But it doesn't have to be a mentor. It can be somebody in your own small group. It can be somebody at church. It can be a neighbor. It can be your spouse. It can be a good friend. It can be a doctor, a lawyer. It can be whoever you trust. Just find somebody that you trust. But I encourage you to find somebody that you can mutually trust. It's not Relationships don't go one way, and they don't work that often one way. They don't work well, at least. I have a friend, Paul. Paul and I have been really good friends since college. He lives in Arizona. We still communicate and, and talk every week. We share what's going on in our lives. We share what's stressing us out. We pray for each other. We read together. We do scripture readings together. We, we're a community. We, we hold each other accountable. We try to encourage each other and, and push each other to be better, to instruct and teach, to encourage and strengthen. So I want to encourage you, be somebody who other people can find comfort in. Find somebody that you can find comfort in, somebody that you can mutually trust. Mutual giving of time and resources. This is the role of the church, to encourage and lift each other up. So I have one more story for you, and I'm, I've got no shortage of stories, and I could be here all day if I told all my stories, but I will tell you one last story. When I was in college, I was a part of a team of students who was tasked with starting and implementing ministry opportunities on campus. We would do things like a Wednesday night, 
uh, a Wednesday night worship night where we'd have music and we'd have speak. We'd basically have a church service on Wednesday nights. We did stuff on Sunday nights. We did retreats. We would go to different events on campus and just be there for ministry opportunities. We'd go to different churches in the community. It was really fun. This is another opportunity that I got because I was invited. Again, I had no qualifications. Somebody was just like, hey, Kramer, you want to go to a prayer group? I said, sure. I don't have anything else to do. So I went to this prayer group, and it ended up being more than a prayer group. They prayed together, but they thought together. They dreamed together. They, they sought counsel and wisdom from each other and from God, and they wanted to follow the Spirit where the Spirit was moving, and they wanted to minister to people. And it started with an invitation. And I hope you're catching on to a theme here about inviting people to join, because this was another opportunity that I took that changed the trajectory of my life. It deepened my understanding of God and about community. It helped me to surround myself with people who would challenge me, not only in our leadership role, but in my personal life as well. And we would do that. And that's the role of the church, to challenge each other to be better, to, gr to grow in Christ, to trust God more. This is the wonderful thing about being a part of a community or a small group, because you can do this. You can encourage each other. You find these people that you trust that you can go through life with. You find people that you're comfortable with. And the last word I want to look at today is peace. Paul says, live in peace. Peace seems to be so elusive these days. We're never at peace. We're always striving for something more. It goes back to forgetting what God has done in your life, because when we forget what God has done in our life, we're not going to be at peace, because we're always going to be striving for the next thing. Paul says, live in peace. And it's it's easy to see that peace doesn't really surround us, but we can be vessels of peace. In my own home, again, we have two young boys. We have a two-year-old and a seven-month-old, and there is not peaceful when they are awake because they are loud, and they are chaotic, and they're messy, and they are loud, and they have loud toys, and there's Legos everywhere, and you step on a Lego, and then you get loud, and then they get loud because you're loud, and they want to just be louder than you, and it's just loud and chaos and messy, and it's loud. So it's not peaceful, but it's beautiful. It's, it's not peaceful all the time when everyone's awake, but it's rewarding. And Paul says, live in peace. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Live in peace with each other. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't let opinions divide you. Because they shouldn't. Not the church. Not us. If something's broken, fix it. I, I want to encourage you and challenge you to be peacemakers. Peacemakers are not peacekeepers. Peacemakers invite peace. They go into chaos and they invite the presence of peace to dwell among them. And peacekeepers often just lean towards people-pleasing and making sure everybody's happy all the time. They go into peaceful situations and maintain the peace. They don't go into chaotic situations and create peace. So I want to encourage you, church, to be 
peacemakers. Go into the chaos, invite the presence of peace, welcome the presence of peace, find common ground. Peacemakers mend what is broken and invite healing. So can I encourage you to do something this morning? Can I encourage you to step out of your comfort zone, maybe? To, to do something that makes your heart race a little bit. Be a peacemaker. Are there broken relationships in your life? Be a peacemaker. Is there somebody in your life that, that is feeling left out? Be, be an includer. Invite them. Extend an invitation. There's a number of things that we can do, but I've created a, a, a short list of, of things that we can try to do as a church. We can start a small group or a life group. We can host a dinner at your house. We can take a step to volunteer. These are three very easy things that we can do. They are a giant leap for some people. But these are things that we can do to create unity, that we can create comfort, that we can create communities that are strong, that build roots. This is essential. I want to challenge you, church, to get plugged in and stay connected. We, we all have cell phones, right? We have cell phones. What happens when you don't plug your cell phone in at night? Battery dies. It's useless. You can't use it. The tool that, that needs to be plugged in, we, we have a bunch of tools on our phone that we can use throughout the day, whether it's for calling or texting or searching or measuring or whatever. But the tool is useless if it's not charged. It's just a paperweight. So I want to encourage you to get connected, stay plugged in. Get connected and stay plugged in. It's vital for your health spiritually and physically to stay connected to a life group, to a small group, to a church community. And there's, there's active ways to do this. This morning, if, right in front of you in your pews, there's, there's, a, there's a, a connection card. There's a connection card. There's a volunteer card. If you want to step up to volunteer, fill out that card, drop it in the Dropbox. If you're interested in a small group, there's small group signups in the back. We're not going to start them this week, but we'll start them at the beginning of the year. It's just an interest list. If it's something that you would be interested in, whether hosting or just joining, being a part of, I want you to put your name on that list because we want to create a community where people get to know Jesus, get to know each other, and we want to see communities reunited and restored. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Say that, the God of love and peace will be with you. We're going to continue to worship the Lord this morning. If our worship team would come out, we're going to continue to, to worship through communion. We're going to sing a song together as, as communion is happening, but we're going to receive communion together. Communion, this is a means of grace, a means of understanding the significance of our salvation, a means of remembering what God has accomplished among us. When we receive the elements of bread and juice, we remind ourselves that that our lives were purchased. That we can respond to the act that Jesus gave of giving his life to give our lives as well as an act of worship.
If there's things that come to mind this morning, relationships that need restored, situations that need to be revisited, pray about those. Ask God to show you the way to do that as you're receiving communion. If our helper would come down. This is a reminder for us of the sacrifice that Jesus made when he humbled himself and died on the cross. He's called us to new life, a life united with Christ and with each other. So we do have two ways that we'll be receiving communion this morning. Which is grab the, the wafer and dip it in the cup, and then we'll have options for the single communion cups as well down here. So we'll come down the middle, and then we'll, we'll receive together.